Hello and welcome to Disrupt Podcast. I'm Gabriella Mulligan. And I'm Tom Jackson. And in this four-part podumentary, we'll be focusing on Africa's burgeoning e-commerce and retail tech space. Brought to you in partnership with three of the continent's headlining startups in the sector, Nigeria's Trade Depot, Omnibiz, also from Nigeria, and Kenya's Market Force. A big thank you to our partners for making this podcast series a reality. In this episode, episode one, we'll be setting the scene, digging into the challenges and opportunities presented by the e-commerce and retail tech space in Africa. We'll be looking at the unique structure of small retailers common to Africa's markets, the lacking infrastructure and cost issues, and we consider how early entrants like Jumia, Take-A-Lot and Conga have impacted the space. In episode two, we'll be talking e-commerce 2.0. We'll discuss how there has been a move away from efforts to achieve a consumer-facing Amazon for Africa, with entrepreneurs instead favouring regional and niche e-commerce. Retail tech, focusing on B2B solutions, has also emerged as a key model. As our three partners are some of the most successful fundraisers in the sector, in episode three, they'll be sharing their experiences of the funding landscape for e-commerce and retail tech ventures in Africa. We'll dig into how investor appetites have evolved and who's investing in the space. Finally, episode four will look to the future. Our partners share their predictions for e-commerce as Africa's population and wealth rockets, as well as discussing their own growth plans for the coming years. So let's take it from the top. What's the fundamental value proposition when people think African e-commerce? Let's hear first from Kachi Izukane of Trade Depot, a Nigerian B2B e-commerce and embedded finance platform which enables factory to retail distribution for consumer goods companies. When you're thinking e-commerce generally, right, the focus is distribution. How do you get product from the maker or the manufacturer or the supplier um, to the consumer ultimately, right? So the goal is to satisfy demand using digital channels fundamentally. Now, when you think about this in the context of Africa, I mean, the the objectives are still the same. The requirements are still the same. The need you're trying to service is still the same. What this, however, has to take on board is, you know, the practical realities of the nature of infrastructure in that environment, but also the nature of existing structures for distribution. And, And this is something I think we we'll touch on quite a bit in the in the course of this conversation. And what are the characteristics of the African commerce landscape? The, the characteristics you're looking at here is the fact that you have your typical source of product if you're a consumer being a small retail store. You know, think about a provision store, as they're called in, in, in some markets, um, down your street, which is an 80-foot an 80 square-foot square store um, that sells an assortment of, you know, maybe 500 different, different SKUs, but, you know, is owned and managed by a single operator who is, you know, not sophisticated in, in, in the real sense. Now, this operator who today has access to digital channels with a smartphone, who is able to use this if, if there was a channel available through this smartphone, to get access to inventory is, in our view, the target of, you know, efforts, um, innovation efforts within the retail value chain. This landscape of existing small retailers is key to the opportunity of African e-commerce, agrees Tesh Mababu of Kenya's market force, which facilitates trade between informal retailers and consumer brands via its digital marketplace. 
Yes, so to give context um, about African e-commerce, we have retail spending in the continent uh, going to upwards of $1.4 trillion annually. And most of this retail happening through neighborhood informal setups. So you have mom and pop stores and open markets. And that's where a lot of this happens. So really the opportunity and the value proposition is how do you connect these millions of mom and pop stores with the suppliers of the goods and services services that they sell on a daily basis. There is a flip side to this opportunity, however. The result of a landscape so heavily reliant on localised small retailers is that it becomes very fragmented, and so for suppliers engaging with these local operators becomes a challenge. In a sense, then, the question for e-commerce players is how to reach end consumers via these retailers. Here's Kachi. In African commerce markets, and Again, this is consistent across most emerging economies. You will find that retail is very fragmented, right? Um, what you will tend to find will be a value chain made up of millions of small independent players versus a scenario where you have a few big players accounting for the bulk of the volumes. This is, a, in my view, a feature at this point, not a bug. I mean, it's the reality of the market that Retail is, you know, happens on the back of these millions of small operators, you know, and a lot of these operators are informal. I mean, you could trace back to why that is. A lot of it is because, you know, people being resilient had to figure out how to get things done and, and where, you know, organized infrastructure was not keeping pace. What we, what we have is this, you know, structure that we have today. But what it also means is that if you're thinking about distribution as a supplier, it's more tricky because what you have to figure out is how to engage, you know, with this landscape that has a million different, you know, millions of different small operators versus, you know, markets where you have a few bigger ones. This fundamentally defines how commerce has evolved. And in our view, has a lot to say for what commerce needs to look like or will look like on the continent in the coming years. And here's Tesh. Yes, so there's about 100 million MSMEs on the continent. Majority of these are mom and pop stores that focus on FMCG products. So your sugar, bread, milk, daily essentials um, as such. So uh, the opportunity here is... You know, due to how African consumers access these products through mom and pop stores. So there's an opportunity to serve consumers through mom and pop stores rather than doing e-commerce in B2C fashion where you collect orders directly from consumers and service them. Um, if you look at some of the interesting characteristics, you have a very fast-growing consumer market, so high urbanization and growing, you have increasing affluence of these consumers so they can afford to spend more, uh, highest population growth in the world, and then there's also rapidly increasing in internet and mobile phone uh, penetration. So this creates a lot of exciting opportunities for the expansion of the retail uh, distribution segment. For Dipanka Rustagi of Nigeria's Omnibus, which operates an end-to-end supply chain framework, 
The burden to the consumer of having to rely solely on local retailers makes the shopping experience one ripe for disruption, particularly so given population growth and increasing incomes. In the last 10 years, various parameters have grown. The the young population, the rising internet penetration, the adoption of digital payments uh, have, have structured the market in a way which is good for e-commerce, which is good for retail technology solutions to grow, and also the hardship around the sales, the experience around the sales. So it, it, it is not a very pleasant experience to walk out with all the lack of logistics infrastructure and challenges with transportation. So people are ready to adopt e-commerce. People are ready to find a way to purchase more effectively. So I think that's why it makes it a very favorable environment for ready for transformation. There have been efforts to build out an e-commerce space in Africa. Early activity focused on South Africa and Nigeria, with Take-A-Lot launching in South Africa in 2011, and Jumia and Conga taking on the Nigerian market in 2012. Since then, they have provided near-constant headlines in their journeys to become the Amazon for Africa. And they've raised impressive amounts of funding. Jumia was even heralded by many as Africa's first unicorn, following its listing on the New York Stock Exchange in 2019. Everyone agrees the challenges faced by these early entrants were overwhelmingly large, and while the progress they have made over the years to overcome these hurdles is to be applauded, there is still a long way to go. Whether or not these early entrants will see eventual success, only time will tell. It must have been quite challenging for this B2C e-commerce players, uh, mainly because of the cost of logistics, in my opinion, and the cost of educating, sensitizing consumers on e-commerce. Uh, because there's a huge trust barrier to cross there when you're used to seeing your mom and pop store or seeing your merchant touching the product while you buy it. And in this case, there's these new platforms who are selling uh, you know, virtual assessment of the goods you're trying to buy. There's a trust barrier there. So I I think they've done pretty well educating the market. The only question that's left is, um, do they survive long enough to enjoy the fruits uh, of what they've built and the brands they've built, especially for Jumia? Tesh there. And here's Dipanka. I would say Jumia, Take a Lot, Conga have done a great job. Uh, they have, uh, the major thing they have fought with is they started at a time where the ecosystem was not there where they had to not just build an e-commerce company, but they had to basically build multiple companies into their startup. So they had to build the infrastructure for logistics. They had to build infrastructure for massive recruitment, training, um, yeah, various things. I would say warehousing standards were far away uh, to build a marketplace. People were not ready. People were not aware about the concept. So they have done a great job. Comparing the situation to the biggest global successes, Depanka says what the likes of Amazon have created is more than just an e-commerce company. They have had to innovate around issues ranging from addressing to delivery logistics, and in the process have created a huge market size by drawing all these solutions together. To recreate a similar success in Africa will be tough, he says. Amazon is Amazon because of various things, not just because of what they have, what they have created, but also because of the large market that they are serving. The, the size of their catalog, 
the size of the parallel ecosystem that has been created in all perspectives from their addressing system to their logistic system. So Amazon, um, Africa's Amazon, or I would say the whole concept of Africa's Amazon would be, would be a tough one. The supplier side costs involved with creating this broad-based e-commerce in Africa are probably the key hindrance when it comes to tackling or competing with the fragmented small retailer model, Kachi says. The way distribution has evolved, you know, the typical consumer would walk down the road into a small store to get product, right? And so um, what this means really is the economics of distribution, right? What it costs to distribute um, has been built around this structure. And so if, if you're showing up with an offering to provide sort of direct, you know, an e-commerce model that distributes directly to a consumer, think about this. What this means is I have a big warehouse somewhere in the middle of the city. And if I'm in a city like Lagos with maybe 20 million different consumers, um, and these consumers order from me, I need to figure out how to get product to each of their homes in an environment that doesn't have, you know, state-provided infrastructure like a walking postal service and so on and so forth. The economics of being able to do this will never be able to successfully compete with economics of delivering to one provision store in a neighborhood, right? A, a provision store that will probably service 200 households, right? So if I were instead supplying this provision store and then each of these households will just walk down the road to this provision store, the economics will always be way better, right? And you can actually begin to build a business that makes sense just from a number standpoint. And I think this is, you know, this is the challenge that, you know, in, in, in attempts that have focused on, a, a, you know, a direct B2C e-commerce model, um, th this is the challenge they've come up against. It's not unique to Africa by any means. Just how much more expensive is the B2C option then? You know, the point I was making about distribution costs, that's just one cost line, but it's a very, you know, it's a very important one um, within this model, you know, so you will you will find that you're working really for for certain classes of products, especially if you're thinking consumer goods. You know, you're working with rather slim margins. And so what, what you're talking is um, in, in scenarios, finding distribution costs that are at least five times, five to seven times more expensive um, if, if you're doing the direct-to-consumer model versus, you know, scenarios where you're, you're, you're shipping to an you know, to a local aggregator, right? So, you know, you could find yourself spending up to 10% of the cost of the product actually significantly higher in some instances. Um, and and I think this is easy for, for listeners to relate to if if you've gone to order, you know, food, for instance, through any of the, you know, food delivery apps and look at what it's costing you for the delivery versus the cost of the item, you kind of get a sense for you know what you know how how significant these logistics costs could be, and that would in no way compete with you know what it would cost you if you were to walk down the road and you know someone was focused on shipping orders for you and fifty of your friends directly to that single location. So this single cost line you know, for distribution costs is by no means the only one, but 
you know, it is significant. But by the same token, if you think about the cost of acquiring customers, you know, where you are acquiring one customer for every 200 consumers in the B2B case, you know, you begin to see scenarios where there are significant cost savings um, that are, you know, practical and, and, and crucial, really, if you're thinking in the context of our market. One way forward for consumer-facing e-commerce in Africa could be to tweak the model to factor in existing small retailers, which Amazon has done in India. If you are doing a direct-to-consumer model, you need a touch point for sometimes for customers as pickup points and as return locations as well. And so if you already have a landscape that is dotted with millions of small independent operators, pretty much one on every street, it makes sense to figure out how to bring these different players, you know, onto your platform. And so they can become touch points for your customers. Tesh also highlights the role of Africa's many countries in the equation. It's very difficult to operate a single platform with sufficient scale for success due to the need to achieve local relevance and address local challenges in individual markets. I think the biggest challenge is market fragmentation. Uh, So compared to the likes of China and the US, uh, building a mega successful e-commerce platform takes uh, being able to build a business e-commerce platform that operates across multiple countries because building up company of that scale in one African country is, is near impossible. So uh, thinking about, you know, how you expand uh, business into different markets, localize for the different markets, uh, a lot of fragmentation in payments, in logistics, um, which leads to you know, the difficulty of the challenge being harder. Um, but I do, I, I do, like the fact that there's a lot of uh, enabling startups and platforms. Uh, if you think about the core issues that would interrupt these are payments and logistics, but for those two specific things, for example, there are Pan-African startups that are being built to solve for interoperability, I would call it that, across the different markets. It boils down to the Pan-African market not being ready yet for e-commerce, Dipanka says. So an Amazon-style mega platform in Africa would be a consumer platform, but I think the biggest thing that is missing is a large middle class, a large amount of um, dispensable income, uh, extra dispensable income, which people are willing to part with, a larger class, uh, a larger audience of people who are looking for convenience rather than price discounts. So I think it's, it's the readiness our consumer base, even after years of operations of um, the successful or, or the big companies that you spoke about, Jumia uh, take a lot in Conga, I would say the number of people who actually do consumer e-commerce in the African space is very limited. And that's, that's something that is missing. And also Africa is a unique market. The major infrastructure issues bordering on identity verification, address verification and so on, need to evolve for consumer commerce to develop to its fullest. But there is a voice of optimism to end this episode. Tesh says challenges aside, there will absolutely be an Amazon for Africa. Perhaps the companies that will succeed are already among us. I think um, the next Amazon is is still in the works. Um, The African e-commerce market is growing really fast, estimated to reach over $40 billion 
uh, in annual revenue by 2025. So I think as an industry that's you know in excess of $500 billion industry in the next few years, which is massive. Um, and I think there's a couple of players which will benefit and be on a substantive amount of that market share. So I, I, I think it's still very possible uh, and that Amazon is in the works for sure. Absolutely, I believe there will be a very successful mega e-commerce platform for Africa, a multi-billion dollar business, if actually many. That's all for today. Tune in again next episode where our partners at Trade Depot, Omnibiz and Market Force will be discussing whether Africa's e-commerce landscape is pivoting away from the quest for the continent's mega platform towards an e-commerce 2.0. Till then, bye.